Pray with me, please. Lord, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. King David lived for 70 years. When he was 30 years of age, he ascended to the throne of Israel, chosen by God to lead the people of God. And that he did for the next 40 years. He was, without any doubt, the most dominant figure of the Old Testament. He was, by any standard, a man of unusual greatness. In fact, at one point, the Bible describes him as being a man after God's own heart. Ah, however, King David was, like all of us, a person whose feet were made of clay. King David was, like all of us, a sinner. And sooner or later in life, sin always has its consequences. King David is a case in point. The scene we encounter today is set at the gate of the ancient city of Mahanaim. Now, under normal circumstances, that city gate would have been jammed with people, a veritable whirlpool of human activity. But on this particular occasion, the gate was virtually abandoned. There was only one man there. That one man was David, the king of Israel. It was a heartbreaking time for the king. And the people of the city of Mahanaim understood that. They knew the circumstances. And so, out of reverence for and in deference to their king, they had all withdrawn from the area of the city gate, leaving King David to himself and to his remembering. You remember I said that it was a heartbreaking time for King David. Be assured that it was. You see, there was a civil war raging just a few miles away. The commander of the rebel army, this army which had attacked the forces of King David, the commander of that rebel army was none other than David's own son. His name was Absalom. Absalom, who tried everything he could to undermine his father's authority. Absalom, who traveled about the country, disputing every judgment and ruling his father rendered. Absalom, who became the political operative par excellence, manufacturing for himself a substantial group of friends and followers. Absalom, who then mustered this rebel army which attacked the forces of King David with the intent of securing David's throne for none other than Absalom. Absalom. David's own son. Now, I rather imagine that 
We might well expect King David at the city gate in Mahanaim to be filled with thoughts of anger and maybe even revenge directed toward this son of his who had turned traitor to father, king, and country. And yet the Bible says that King David had no such thoughts toward Absalom. Instead, the Bible says, King David thought of Absalom only in terms of tenderness, concern, and deep grief. As a matter of fact, the very last words that King David delivered to his battle commanders before sending them out to face the Absalom-led rebel forces, the last word King David said to them was this, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And then after the battle, the messengers came ready to inform the king about the results of that battle. And King David never even bothered to ask who won or lost the fight. Instead, he said, Is it well with my son Absalom? And so here at the city gate in Mahanaim, what we see is not an angry ruler railing against a rebellious subject, no. Instead, what we see is an aging father whose heart was breaking because of his boy. Today, I wish for us to intrude upon the very private thoughts of King David as they are revealed to us directly or indirectly on the pages of Scripture. I want us to do that for the sake of our own souls, yes, but also I want us to do that for the sake of the society in which you and I now are living. So I want to suggest to you, first of all, that King David's heart was breaking because he was remembering how he had been too permissive with his children. Understand, please, that some years before, a terrible thing had happened in the family of King David. Amnon who was David's oldest son, physically attacked his half-sister, Tamar. Now, Tamar was the full sister of Absalom. And needless to say, Absalom became infuriated about what Amnon had done to his sister. And so he waited to see what kind of punishment David was going to exact upon Amnon for what he had done. The law was very clear at that point. Amnon, at the very least, ought to have been banished from the home and disinherited. The fact of the matter is, King David did absolutely nothing. You see, for King David... Love meant permissiveness. Love meant never having to say no. Love meant 
letting your son get away with anything and everything just to avoid a confrontation. Well, in light of that, Absalom exploded in rage. He decided to take matters into his own hands, and Absalom wound up murdering Amnon. And so I think that David was remembering that, that day at the city gate at Mahanaim, remembering how his permissiveness had resulted in a daughter being attacked, a son being murdered, and yet another son being the murderer. You see, David never managed to learn that sometimes saying no to his children would have been a much deeper demonstration of his love than any number of yeses. You and I are living today in the midst of a society that seems to have increasing numbers of troubled and troubling young people. And many reasons are offered for that phenomenon. There are some who say that young people are disillusioned by the hypocrisy of the older generations, and that's what leads to the trouble that's there. Well, I am absolutely certain that there is hypocrisy in those of us who are in the older generations, but the fact of the matter is all through history, younger generations have always regarded older generations as being hypocritical, so there is nothing new on the human scene in that regard. There are others who suggest that young people today are tormented by the threats of terrorism and violence and massive social problems and the uh, disintegration of familiar institutions. Well, I'm reasonably certain that uh, those things which are existent in our time do affect the mood of young people today, but I am a serious enough student of history to know that all throughout history there have been repeated times of destruction and disintegration, and so there is really nothing new in that on the human scene. No, I will tell you honestly that I believe that the greatest problems among our young people today are created and fostered by the fact that we are teaching young people that freedom means license rather than responsible, disciplined living. I'm not alone in that belief. I am one small, insignificant voice in what I perceive to be a swelling chorus in our time. In fact, not very long ago, the keynote speaker at a national psychologist convention in Los Angeles said this, the greatest social disaster of the early part of this century is the widespread belief that abundant love makes discipline unnecessary. Well, that is certainly lesson number one we can learn from great King David. 
As a matter of fact, if you flip over in the Bible to the book of 1 Kings, you can read there that it says of King David that never once did he discipline his children by telling them they could not do what they wanted to do. Never once. Think of it. Never any guidance. Never any rules, never any restrictions, never any direction, never any denial, never any control, never any correction, never any accountability, never once. And what was the result? Just look at Absalom. He had everything anyone could ever want or hope for in life. He had good looks. He had fabulous wealth. He lived a charmed life. The problem was, he never learned to distinguish between right and wrong. He never learned the secret of responsible living or the respect for the rights of others. He came to believe that the whole world owed him a living. And as a result, he died a tragic death. Now, I want to say this clearly, and I'm going to ask you to help me to make it clear as you listen. Do not mishear what I am saying at this point. I want to clearly state that this is no justification whatever for discipline by either emotional or physical abuse. We have too much, way, way too much of that particular sickness in the society in which we are now living. That must be condemned and that must be stopped. But I must also say this equally clearly. It is, in my opinion, also a form of child abuse to permit a child to grow up never being able to distinguish between right and wrong, never knowing the difference between good and evil, never understanding what it means to live responsibly in a free society. King David was way too permissive with his children. And I believe that day in the gate of the city of Mahanaim, I believe that King David was remembering that. And as he remembered, his heart was breaking. I want to suggest also that King David's heart was breaking because he remembered how he had set a terrible example for his children. You know, when we think of King David, we, we usually think of a gentle shepherd boy singing lovely songs. Or we think of the valiant young hero who fell to the giant Goliath. Or we think of the noble king who ruled Israel until there was liberty and justice for all. 
All of those things are, of course, quite true about King David. But that is not the full picture of King David's life. The fact of the matter is, his administration was a swamp of lust and desire. His court was filled with intrigue and deceit. His reign was blood-spattered from beginning to end. And it was in the midst of those circumstances that Absalom grew up, the third son of David's third wife. Little wonder, I suppose, that one time when Absalom was talking to a man named Ahithophel, Absalom said to him, My father has poisoned me. Little wonder indeed. Oh, yes, I think that day at the city gate at Mahanaim, King David was remembering Bathsheba and how she became temptation for him and how he yielded to that temptation. I think he was seeing in his mind's eye the face of that brilliant young soldier, Uriah, who loved his God, his king, and his wife. And I think David was remembering how he had stolen that wife, Bathsheba, and then he had sent that brilliant young soldier off to die in battle. And I think David was remembering how Nathan, the strong and stony prophet from the hills, one day came storming into his presence, pointing at him the finger of accusation and crying out for all the world to hear, David, thou art the man. Oh, yes. I think that day at the city gate, David was remembering all his moral failures. Saint Teresa of Avila was one of the great women in the history of the church. She has long been a heroine of mine. She wrote so many magnificent things, but among those things were these words. Listen. I was much helped by the fact that I never once saw my mother or my father respect anything but goodness. Whew. Isn't that beautiful? Wouldn't that be a blessing for any child? Ah, but that was not a blessing that Absalom ever knew. For Absalom grew up in a home very much like the homes that too many of us know only too well. Homes where parents give themselves not to goodness but to evil. Homes which are marked not by sacrificial love, but by greed and pettiness and jealousy and resentment. Homes where vengeance is taken one upon another. Homes where children are shuffled about like pawns. Homes where the atmosphere is poisonous and the tension is toxic. Oh, St. Teresa said, I never once saw my mother or my father respect anything but goodness. Oh, please, God, 
for homes like that today. Back during the Korean War, there was an American general named William Dean. He was captured by the North Koreans. They sought to extract information from him by torturing him hideously, but he gave them no information. They then resorted to trying to brainwash him, but it didn't work. His psychological powers were stronger than theirs. Finally, after two years of unspeakable treatment, they gave up. His captors came to General Dean and said to him, in five minutes, you will be beaten to death. You have five minutes to write a farewell note to your wife. General William Dean wrote that note, and then he died. Some years later, the note was made public. I lift up for you a single sentence from that letter to his wife. It is the last sentence of the letter. General Dean wrote, please tell our son Bill that the word is integrity. My Father in heaven, think of that, will you? The very last words a father speaks to his son. And those words are, the word is integrity. Oh, my friends, in too many homes today, in way too many homes today, the word is money, success, prestige, prominence, portfolio, popularity. And those words sometimes can poison. I believe that day at the gate in the city of Mahanaim, King David was remembering that of all of the words he gave to his son Absalom, he never once gave him the word integrity. And I believe that as he was remembering that, his heart was breaking. Ah, well, the Bible tells us the forces of King David won the battle. Absalom, in a desperate effort to escape for his life, mounted a steed and took off running. But in the process, he managed to get his long flowing hair all tangled up in the overhanging branches of a tree. And the horse ran out from under him and left him hanging there, dangling, the Bible says, between heaven and earth until, until one of David's soldiers plunged three darts into his heart. And then for Absalom, 
it was all over. When word of Absalom's death reached King David, he was plunged into deep grief and agony, and he cried, O Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died in your place. Absalom, my son, my son. The king's heart was breaking. Just as God's heart breaks, whenever he sees us, his children, trying to go our own rebellious way, whenever he sees us trying to control our own lives the way we want to do it, whenever he sees us running off to the far country of selfish, sinful desire, God's heart breaks. And God says what David said, if only I had died in your place. But what David could not do, God did. For one day on a hill called Calvary, in the form of one who sometimes is called the Son of David, God gave himself for you and for me so that we might forever know that at the heart of this universe of ours there beats a heart of love, a love that will never ever quit, a love that will never ever give up, a love that will never ever let us go, a love that will never ever let us down, a love that accepts us just as we are, but which will never ever leave us just as we are, a love which pursues us in life, no matter what we may have been or done or said or thought in life. A love which is constantly reaching out to us in Jesus Christ. Constantly trying to draw us back home. Home. Home to the Father's love. Back home. Home. Where we belong. Pray with me, please. God on high, do not, please do not ever give up on us. Like King David, our feet are made of clay. But what we truly, deeply long for, more than anything else in all the world, is to be at home, in your home, with you and with your Son, the Son of David, Jesus Christ. Amen.